I hope that if you have your copy of the scripture with you, you'll turn to 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read this portion of scripture out of the Living Bible. This morning, I will be uh, pointing out uh, scripture passages out of three different uh, translations, the Living Bible to begin with, then um, uh, some passages out of the Revised Standard, and also one out of the Amplified Bible. Now, again, in the event that you're a visitor, I want you to know I'm not in any way trying to confuse. Uh, It is my desire, and I feel my duty as a pastor to make sure that the Word of God is precise and clear. And, and simple and easy to understand, and I hope that we do that. But I'm not trying to favor one transi- uh, uh, tr- translation over the other. If you love the King James, that's fine. I normally use the Revised Standard. You know that. But the Living Bible, the New English, uh, the New International vi- uh, Version, whatever translation you have, it's God's Word, and we want to study it, and we want to fill our hearts and minds with it so that when we leave this place, we'll go out to serve Him. So let's pray together. Father, help that in these moments ahead, as we open your word, that the Spirit of God that inspired the writers to record these truths might now help us to understand your word and to apply it to our hearts and our lives. And Heavenly Father, I pray for each one of us as Christians. Oh God, it seems as if the world is trying to tell us to sit down and be quiet and not follow the Lord as he would want us to. And the world also seems to be telling the church that we no longer have any importance in our world today, that there are many ways to reach out to God, and Jesus is just another way. God, wake us up that your Son is truly the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other God besides you. We make many gods, but there's no other God besides you. And there's salvation in no other name other than Jesus. Father, I just pray that you will speak to our hearts. And, Lord, that we would be people who do not stop you from working in our hearts and lives and in this church. And I pray, Father, that we will truly be people that ask you to work in us and through us for the honor and glory of your kingdom's work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me read this passage of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to Jerusalem to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings on altars in the hills, for the temple of the Lord hadn't yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all of his father's David's instructions, except that he continued to sacrifice in the hills and to offer incense there. The most famous of the hilltop altars was Gibeon, and now the king went there and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. The Lord appeared to him in a dream that night and told him to ask for anything he wanted, and it would be given to him. Solomon replied, You are wonderfully kind to my father David because he was honest and true and faithful to you and obeyed your commands. And you have continued your kindness to him by giving him a son to succeed him. O Lord my God, now you have made me the king instead of my father David, but I am as a little child who doesn't know his way around. 
And here I am among your own chosen people, a nation so great that there's almost too many people to count. Here's David's request. Listen to verse 9. Give me an understanding mind so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. For who by himself is able to carry such a heavy responsibility? The Lord was pleased with his reply and was glad that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So he replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people and haven't asked for a long life or riches for yourself or the defeat of your enemies. Yes, I'll give you what you've asked for. I will give you a wiser mind than anyone else has ever had or ever will have. And I'll also give you what you didn't ask for, riches and honor. And no one in all the world will be as rich and famous as you for the rest of your life. And I will give you a long life if you follow me and obey my laws as your father David did. Last Sunday, we began looking at what are we asking and allowing God to do here at our church. And folks, I was prompted by the fact that we began a new year. Folks, what should you and I ask God to do in our lives and in our church in this coming year? Well, folks, there were five questions that I asked last Sunday, and briefly, and again, it'll be very brief, I want to mention those five questions. Question number one was this, does God have a plan for our church, our lives, this year? And the answer to that is yes. And we read from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13, where God spoke through the prophet and said, I know the plans I have for you. And those verses, I believe, transcend time. God who planned for the nation of Israel has a plan for my life and your life and for the life of this church. Question number two, does God want to bless us this year as a church and as individuals? And again, the answer is absolutely yes. Last week, we pointed out that it is a very nature of God to bless his people and his church. From the book of Genesis to the end of Revelation, from creation to the return of God's son, he desires to bless each of us and to bless our church. Question number three, has God blessed the Risa Church in the past? And again, the answer is absolutely yes. And folks, we're not bragging about our church, but we're bragging about our Lord. He is the one who blesses us. Question number four, are God's blessings automatic? And folks, many of us, I believe, are prone to believe that regardless of how we act, how we think, what we say, what we do, God will continue to bless us. Folks, let me tell you something. God's blessings are not dependent simply upon all that we do for him because God blesses us before we ever come to know him. But folks, God does place responsibility and accountability upon us. God requires us to obey his commands and be faithful to him. And folks, that's one of the underlying teachings of the Word of God. God wants to bless us, but so often we shut the door in God's face by being disobedient to Him. God stopped blessing the nation of Israel because they sinned and rebelled against Him. There are churches throughout history that have pushed God out of their sanctuaries and God stopped blessing them. And that's something that worries me about our church and every church today. 
Are we allowing God to bless us and lead us? Are we obedient to him and faithful to his will? Do we seek his will? Folks, we're not just going to come together and say, God bless us. God expects us to be obedient. And the fifth question was this. Did Solomon, do you and I, does Teresa Baptist Church deserve God's blessing? And folks, the answer to that is we don't. We talked about how Solomon had so many wives and concubines, and those wives later turned his heart against God. He got all those wives so that he could make treaties with other leaders and extend his territories and have times of peace. He wasn't depending upon God in that area. He worshiped in the Canaanite high places that God had forbidden. He was a sinner, but God blessed him. How about you and I? Do we need to itemize all of our sins? Folks, we're not perfect, and we will not be perfect until we go to be with the Lord. But God still continues to bless us. And our church, like every other church, has its weaknesses and faults. But God still blesses us. Folks, what's all this about? Well, folks, in the context of Solomon not deserving God's blessing, 1 Kings 3 points out that in the midst of... Of his undeserving state, God asked Solomon, ask what I shall give you. Folks, that's the type of God he is. He's always wanting to bless us. He's always wanting to do more for us and more in us and through us. And he's saying that not only to our church, but he's saying that to each one of us. But folks, you and I need to sit down and think about it. As God offers to bless us and work in us and through us, what should we ask God for? And folks, I don't want you to get the impression here that God's saying, here's a blank check, you take it and do with it whatever you want. I think we need to do some soul searching as to what we would ask the Lord to do for us and for our church. I want to point out what Solomon asked for. Look at verse 9 in chapter 3 of 1 Kings. And we've got this on the screen, and this is out of the Revised Standard. Listen to this. Solomon says, Give thy servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern thy people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? Solomon asked God for two specific things. First of all, he asked God for wisdom. Now, folks, look at that expression, an understanding mind. Folks, in the King James, it says, an understanding heart. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means a, a hearing heart. Now, you and I know that that organ within us that is pumping our blood doesn't have ears on it. But for the Hebrew people, and for us so often in speaking about the heart, we're not talking about that pumping organ. We're talking about the very core of our being. And Solomon is saying here, God, give me a hearing heart. That is a heart that is tuned to the voice of God. I believe verse 7, 8, and 9 should be read again. And let me read those to you out of the Revised Standard. And listen to how Solomon describes himself. He says, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. And it's thought that Solomon, and he was not a kid, but it's thought he was around 20 years old. 
And he's saying, I do not know how to go out or come in. How many of us would acknowledge before God that we're not near as smart as we think we are? And we need the wisdom and the guidance of God. Verse 8, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people whom thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Verse 9, give thy servant, therefore, an understanding mind, a heart. Folks, listen to this. In all three of those verses, Solomon refers to himself as God's servant. Folks, his prayer is showing true humility. Solomon recognizes that all of God's blessings come from God to him. And so Solomon is yielding his life to God to be God's service servant. Folks, let me ask you an honest question. How many of us seated in this sanctuary have truly committed ourselves to being servants of God? Servants of God with hearts that are tuned to the voice of God. How many of us are willing to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And I'm going to listen to your voice throughout my life so that I can live for you on a day-to-day basis. And folks, let me point something out. If we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to us. Look at this verse, James chapter 1, verse 5. And I'm reading this out of the Amplified Bible. Listen to this verse. And this is one you want to highlight, you want to mark in your Bible. If anyone, if any of you is deficit in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault finding, and it will be given him. Folks, just just take for just a second and look at this. If any of you is deficit in wisdom. And folks, again, how many of us can say, I've got it all together. I've got a plan for my life, and it's going to work out, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. I don't need God. And then we run into a pothole in life, and we suddenly find out that we're not as smart as we thought we are, and we don't know where to go. Listen, God wants to give his wisdom, his plan to us. And if we're deficit in wisdom, let him ask of the what kind of God? The giving God, who gives to everybody liberally. And and look at the next phrases, and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault-finding. You know why I think those things are important? Folks, if God looked at my true character and your true character, why would he want to give us anything? We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're so often on the road to rebellion instead of the road to obedience. But God says, I love you. I want to bless you. That is my nature. But come to me and ask for wisdom. Warren Wiersbe writes that what people ask for usually reveals what they really desire. And what they desire depends on how they envision their life's calling. As a young, inexperienced man, Solomon, with many challenges and decisions before him, Solomon asked for a heart that would listen to the voice of God. Have we listened to the voice of God? And I'm not necessarily talking about a literal voice, but have we listened to God through the teaching of the Word of God? 
Have we listened to God through the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God? Have we listened to God as we fell before God on our knees and said, God, I don't know what to do. Give me direction. Give me wisdom. Solomon prayed first for wisdom. And the second thing he did, look back at verse 9. Look back at verse 9. Thank you, Michelle, for going back to that. Give thy servant, therefore, an understanding mind. But look what he says, to govern thy people. Folks, listen. Solomon placed the good of God's people above his own personal prosperity. Now, how many of us can say that? If God had said, I'm going to give you a blank check, how many of us would have accumulated all of our bills and said, Lord, I need this and much, much more because I got all these other things I want to buy? And I'd be guilty of that. I still want one of them big $40,000 bass boats. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. And I don't know why. I went fishing 15 minutes last year. A bass boat would really do me good, wouldn't it? And I'm not complaining about lack of time to go fishing. There's so many other things I want to do. Folks, I got off the point. That's not in the notes, okay? But listen, when God said, Solomon, what do you want me to do? He didn't look at what he could get for himself. He wanted to make a difference to the nation that he would serve. He didn't want to become simply a powerful and popular and rich king, but he wanted to serve the Lord God and he wanted to serve people. And listen to this too. He said that I may discern between good and evil. Now let me ask you, my Christian brothers and sisters, how many of us want God to show us what is good and evil in our life? Let's be honest. I don't like people telling me where I'm wrong. Do you? I don't like people telling me about my faults and my weaknesses and even about my sins. But folks, if we're going to serve the Lord God, we've got to know the difference between right and wrong. Folks, we're living in a world right now in which the world is trying to turn the church upside down. Did you know that? In the New Testament, and I'm not trying to say everything outside these walls is terrible and bad. It is not. But in the New Testament, as the early church began, the church began to turn their world upside down. They were different. They had a focus, and it was not themselves. It was not to please and become politically correct, but it was to please the Lord God and to serve Him. And Solomon sees this. I believe the Apostle Paul saw this too, and he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. We've been speaking this verse recently, but listen to this verse. And he died for all, he's speaking of Christ, that those who live, the church, Christians, might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Folks, it is the high calling of every professing born-again believer in every church to be on a mission, not for ourselves, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon saw that his purpose in life was to seek the wisdom of God and use that wisdom to serve others. As God blesses us, do we use the blessings he gives to us to serve others? And so, folks, with all that said, what should we ask God to give to Teresa Baptist Church this year and in the years ahead? 
And folks, this morning, I think I'm just going to get through one and start on a second one. But here's two things that I'm burdened about for our church. And these are two things that I'm going to ask God to do in this coming year. First of all, I pray that God would give a harvest of more people coming to know and experiencing Jesus as their personal Savior through the ministry of this church. Now, folks, I know that you and I cannot make other people believers, but I know that you and I can greatly influence their turning to the Lord. We're here because somebody greatly influenced our turning to the Lord. Is that not right? Did you just up and come to church and say, I want to get saved? Folks, the Spirit of God wants to impress upon our heart that it is our Lord's desire that through this church, through every church, many people would come to know Christ as their Savior. And folks, when people come to know Christ as Savior, many things begin to happen. First of all, they experience forgiveness of sin and freedom from the bondage of sin. Can we not see in our world that we're living in that so many people are being shackled by sin? And folks, it's not just addiction to, to drugs and to alcohol. It's all of those things outside of the lordship and control of Jesus Christ. There are people that need new birth into the kingdom of God. There are people that need eternal life. There are people that need their names written in the Lamb's book of life. They need deliverance from eternal separation from God, which is hell. They need a Savior. And folks, as a church, do we believe this? Have we lost our way? Are we here simply to erect buildings and maintain them and thank the Lord that you've made an effort to do all of that. But folks, our main job is to help others come to know Christ as we know him as our personal Lord and Savior. And I'm praying that we're going to remember that. We're going to catch on fire about that. But folks, is that biblical? Is it biblical? Did the early disciples, did the church, the early church have a mandate to share the gospel with the lost? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. Let me read some of the words of Jesus to you. And these are words that you already know. Mark 1, 17 is a powerful statement that when Jesus began his ministry, he immediately began to preach the kingdom of God and he immediately began to call disciples. And as Jesus called disciples, this is what he said. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Folks, the Lord wants us fishing every day for the hearts and lives of others. And listen to these verses out of Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And I want to include these in because there are several places in Matthew where Matthew kind of has a summary statement of Jesus' mission. In verse 35, listen to what Jesus was doing. Jesus went about all the cities and the villages. And what was he doing? Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity. Jesus was concerned about the entire person. He was not just concerned about getting somebody to come and sit on a, a church pew or join the church, but he was concerned about their total being. But part of that was preaching and teaching the gospel of God. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion 
Do we as a church have that compassion where we're moved to the core of our being, where we see people that are lost in our community and we begin to pray for them, we begin to love them, we begin to encourage them to seek the Lord? He he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, and folks, if he said this to his disciples, he's saying it to you and I who are his disciples of 2012. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Folks, listen, there are many people who do not yet know the Lord. But again, we must, we must understand as a church, it is God's desire, it is Christ's desire that we go to the world. We go to the world with the gospel. Listen to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Listen to John 20, verse 21. Jesus said, and he's resurrected from the grave, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, City Lake, Chubb Lake, Olive Hill, Woodsdale, McGee's Mill, wherever the Lord Jesus sends you and I when we leave this place, we are to be his witnesses. Folks, the church of Jesus Christ needs to ask itself again, have we lost the burden for the lost? Have we lost concern? When's the last time that we shared the gospel? And again, I know you're expecting preachers to say stuff like this, but folks, from my heart, when's the last time when God gave us an opportunity did we tell somebody that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God that he came from heaven to this earth, that he lived, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and on the third day, as he said he was, he was raised, would be, he was raised from the dead. Have we shared that? Folks, and I'm not saying you can just go up to anybody and do that. The Spirit of God has got to be involved in all this, but are we willing? If God gives us the opportunity this week, if someone out of the blue walked up to us and said, are you a Christian, would you tell me? how I can become a Christian too. Could we do it? Would we do it? Would we do it? Have we lost our burden? Folks, let me ask you something. Have we invited anyone to church lately? You know, I believe we're going to have to get back to the basics. We're going to get back to the basics where our love for people outside of this church convince them that we want them on the inside of this church. I've told you this so many times. I hope you don't get bored. I am so thankful that Maude DeBias asked my mother if she would allow her to come by and pick me and my two brothers up. At that time, we didn't have a, a, a car. I know some of y'all think that was before cars were invented, but they were, they were invented back then. I am so grateful that God sent someone to take us to church. You know, I'm afraid that probably outside of these walls there are people that are thinking, they wouldn't want me to come to their church. Maybe I don't even have a suit and a tie. And you know, I realize that. Now, a lot of people don't even have suits and ties. Well, who cares? God doesn't care what you look like on the outside. He's concerned about your inside. He doesn't care what color you are. 
He doesn't care what you have or what you don't have. He wants to bless you through the blood of his son shed on the cross for everybody. Folks, have we lost that burden for the lost? Will you make a commitment this morning to bring or invite someone to church? It might just begin with your own family. And yes, I know the hardest people to reach are your family. Yes, I know I'm right in the middle of that right now. Folks, are we praying that lost people will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm praying that this year God will bring a harvest of souls through the ministry of this church, not for my glory or for your glory, for Theresa Baptist Church's glory, but for the glory of God so that more people will enter into the kingdom of God. And folks, they're all over the place. And many don't know that God loves them. And you say, well, how can that be? The gospel is broadcast around the clock. It might be, folks, but they need a living sermon. And that's where you and I come in. With that living sermon. You know, I'll be honest with you. When I was a teenager, I thought the most boring thing in the world was go listen to a preacher for 20 minutes. Preachers used to just preach 20 minutes back then. Ha ha. Ah. Here's the second, I didn't hear that. Here's the second, here's the second thing. And, and I'm going to stop after I, after I go over this. Um, would you go to the next slide, Michelle? Oh, that's about the church. Do we need a revival? Let me read these verses out of Revelation chapter 3. Do we need a revival? Let me ask, let me let you answer that, okay? And look, when I'm talking about revival, I'm not talking about two five-day time periods in the spring and in the fall. We've already got spring revival lined up. That's not what I'm talking about. Do we need a revival in the church? Listen to what the Lord said to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3, 1 through 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write these words, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the name of being alive and you're dead. The Lord speaking to his church. Verse 2, awake. Awake, strengthen what remains and is on the point of death, for I have not found your work perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep that. And look at that next word. Repent. The Lord is telling the church to repent. If you do not awake, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Folks, in Webster's Dictionary, the word revival is defined in this way to return to consciousness or life, our spiritual reawakening. Folks, listen. As a church, do we need to be reminded of who we are? We are the body of Christ. And if we're being obedient to the Lord, guess who is indwelling this place? It is the Spirit of God. We're not coming hoping to be entertained by a preacher or a good sermon or a good music program. We're here to hear the Word of God and hear the Spirit of God speak our heart. And we're also to be empowered by that same Spirit. We've already been commissioned. The Lord Jesus has already said, My will is that you go. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I promise to be with you. I promise to bless you. But is all of that happening? Well, we need revival. Amen? How do we get revival? Well, 
I want to read this verse out of 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 14. The original context of this, Solomon had just finished building the temple. It was a great time of revival for the people of Israel. But God said, there's going to come times when my people are going to turn against me and rebel against me. But when they do, I'll send revival if, listen to this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Folks, there are four instructions in this verse for revival. And not next Sunday because it's Baptist Men's Day, but the following Sunday we'll look at these. If you and I want revival to happen in our church, it must start where? In my heart and in your heart. And I want you to look at these four things. Humble themselves. Last week I was driving to Durham, and I promise you I'm not going crazy, but I was thinking about the sermons that were before us. And I was thinking about this verse. And God spoke to my, my heart and said, are you humble enough for me to use you? Folks, one of the first needs that we have to begin revival in my heart and in this church is for us to humbly come before the Lord. Are we there? How about praying? Oh, yeah, we pray. Do we? Do we really earnestly get before God in prayer? Or do we say, God, I'll give you three minutes. Or God, thank you for what you brought me through. I'm going to move on. I'll call you again when I need you. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. How about seeking God's face? I love that expression. If my people seek my face, folks, he's here. It must mean we're not seeking him. If he says, you've got to seek my face. And then listen to what he says. And he says this to his people, to his church. You must turn from your wicked ways. How many of us would truly acknowledge that we've got sins and hang-ups that God would say, this is wickedness? We're living in I'm okay, you're okay society. We're standing in the presence of holy God. And holy God wants to bless us. Let us pray. Father, Lord, as you've given us a new year, Lord, we know you want to bless us. That is your nature. And Father, I know that you're asking us, what do you want me to do? Oh God, I pray that, Lord, you'll begin to work a new work in us. And Lord, regardless of what that cost is to us, whether it would be to humble ourselves, to pray and to seek your face and to turn from our sins, I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to do it so that not only revival can come to our church, but, Lord, a great harvest of souls would come. Whether people come to this church and join or not, Lord, we want them to know you and your Son. And so I pray, Father, that we'll ask. We'll ask, O oh God, that you begin a new work, knowing that that new work must begin first in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray. 
I pray that we will give ourselves afresh and anew to you. Have your way and your will in these moments of invitation. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.